Well, welcome. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at First Baptist Church. We're glad that you're listening in or, or watching from wherever this finds you uh, today. I want to invite you to open your Bible, if you have one, and turn to Acts chapter 18 as we continue our study through the book of Acts. We are starting today Paul's third missionary journey. Uh, chapters 13 and 14 detail his first journey. Uh, chapters, end of chapter 15 through uh, just this part of, um, part of chapter 18 is his second journey. And now here in Acts 18, starting in verse 23, uh, Luke accounts for Paul's third missionary journey. Um, we're just going to take a few verses this morning and look at uh, a few things together. Uh, but if you would, if you're able, uh, please stand at this time and uh, hear the reading of God's Word from Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 23. It reads like this. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. Then he arrived, he, and when he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had, been, who had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Now, God, we ask that you would give us eyes to see this morning, that you would help us to understand your word to learn what you would have us to learn even this day. And we pray that you'll receive the glory in all of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. We have said for some time that First Baptist Church of Cairo exists to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. Our vision is that that would occur both in the Cairo region and beyond really all over, all over the world. More and better. We see that in the book of Acts, and one of the places we see that is in chapter 16, where Luke gives a, a progress report, and he says that, that the disciples were increasing and multiplying, or being strengthened. They were increasing and being strengthened. Uh, the essence of being a disciple and the call of Jesus to his disciples is to make disciples. That's what the Great Commission is all about. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. A disciple who does not make disciples does not yet know what it means to be a disciple. In our passage this morning, in just this short section, we see three examples of discipleship specifically of making better disciples, of strengthening disciples. Our, our first example comes in verse 23, and it says this, 
after spending some time there, he departed and went one place, from one place to the next, through the region of Galatia, Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. We started in verse 24, but, but Paul's trip actually started in verse 23. After spending some time there, the there is Antioch, where he had come back on, after his second missionary journey. We don't know how long he spent there. Luke says some time. Uh, some people think that he spent maybe even a year in Antioch. We may not know that, but what we do know is that Paul was committed to following up on new churches that had been planted. Paul was interested and concerned about these churches from his first and second missionary journey. His desire was that, again, the last part of verse 23, that all the disciples would be strengthened. That's what he went out to do. Elsewhere in the scriptures, we see Paul's heart for, for discipleship. We see it in a place like Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, that says this, My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Or 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope and our joy or our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? It is, is it not you? For you are our joy and glory, our glory and our, our joy. Paul had a heart for people. About 10 years later, he's writing the, the, the epistle to the church in Ephesus. And he writes some of these things. A prayer. He prays for them that according to the riches of, of God's glory, that God would grant them to be strengthened with power through his spirit in their inner being. In verse 18, that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the light, length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He wanted them to be strengthened. Uh, strengthening was a clear emphasis of Paul's ministry. The idea of strengthening here is the idea of, of confirming something of establishing, of making it firm, of security. That's what Paul was about. Uh, strengthening the disciples was what he did. But then we might ask, how did he do it? Well, if we look back just through the past couple of chapters, we find out how Paul did this. Here, here's a sampling. In chapter 13, he was in Antioch. And we read this, verse 49. The word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Chapter 14, in Lystra and Derby, they, Paul and Barnabas, preached the gospel. In the end of chapter 15, in Antioch, that's now in Syria, Paul and Barnabas were teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. In chapter 16, he was in Philippi and with the, the, the jailer, the Philippian jailer, we read these words in verse 32. They spoke the word of the Lord to him, that's the jailer, and to all who were in his house. In chapter 17 in Thessalonica, on the third, on three Sabbath days, he, that's Paul, reasoned with them from the scriptures. In verse 11 in Berea, the people received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Chapter 18, we saw this last week as Pastor Chris opened the scriptures. In verse 5, he was in Corinth, 
And Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Verse 11, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. What do we find? That the word of God was how Paul established, how he strengthened, how he was making these disciples better. While Paul was still on his way to to Ephesus, Luke moves ahead uh, to Ephesus and he shares another example of discipleship from a married couple we already met earlier in chapter 18 named Aquila and Priscilla. Listen to it in verses 24 through 26. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in this synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. As we said, Aquila and Priscilla were mentioned earlier in this chapter where when Paul came to Ephesus, he met them and they became his ministry partners. Uh, They traveled, excuse me, when he was in Corinth, they traveled with him to Ephesus where Paul left them there and he headed back to Antioch. While Aquila and Priscilla were in Ephesus, we find that Apollos came to town. Apollos, we find, was from a town called Alexandria, from a place called Alexandria, and he was in, which was an intellectual center. Uh, we find out that this place was renowned for its library. Uh, Apollos was a well-educated man. He had been instructed in the scriptures, we find. That word instructed, we, we could understand that word to be catechized in the scriptures. It, it appears, as Luke describes him, uh, that, that Apollos was a Christian, as we find out that he accurately taught the way of the Lord and was fervent in spirits. Or it might say, uh, some of your Bibles might have a footnote there, in the spirits. And the reason that for the footnote would be in the original language, there is an article, the, the word the, that precedes spirits. So some would understand that to be the spirits, uh, as in the Holy Spirit, not our human spirit. There's another example of this in Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. And again, the spirit is, um, there, there's an article that precedes the word spirit there. H- however, the rest of verse 25 says, though he knew only the baptism of John. And this is going to come back up in chapter 19, this baptism of John thing. Uh, the baptism of John um, was when, when Jesus was coming onto the scene, John was his predecessor, and he was baptizing people. And the baptism at that time was looking forward to the coming Messiah. But baptism, Christian baptism after Jesus uh, was buried, uh, died, buried, and rose again, uh, Christian baptism now looks back to the completed work of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. So, the question might come up is how could Apollos be a believer if he only knew the baptism of John? If that's all that he knew or that's as far as he got, uh, what does that mean? Well, one commentator, Tony Morita, explains it this way. 
um, possibly uh, we could understand that, that Luke was saying of Apollos that he may not have known about the new covenant practice of baptism established by Jesus. Not necessarily that he only knew up to John's baptism, but he, he didn't understand the, the covenant, the new covenant practice of baptism in which Jesus established. Nevertheless, uh, though he only knew that much, we read that he spoke boldly in the synagogue. And while there, Priscilla and Aquila heard him. And after hearing him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Uh, Warren Wearsby says of this, Apollos' message was not inaccurate or insincere. It was just incomplete. It's, it might be like this, if you've ever been traveling, and nowadays we have GPSs and uh, phones that tell us where to go. and We don't really look at maps. But, but if, if you remember, there used to be paper maps. And if you had an outdated paper map, map m- maybe, uh, there might be a time where you're traveling and the road on your map is not the road that you are finding as you're driving. Or there's a new road. Or it's marked differently than it was. What you find out is that you don't have all the information. You don't have the new information. You, you, you're, not, you're not up to date on what is actually happening. In some way, this is what Apollos may have been experiencing. But we want to take note here of specifically of Priscilla and Aquila. They serve for us as a model of how to offer correction, how to disciple someone. What we find is that they did not rebuke Apollos in public. Neither did they embarrass him. They didn't shame him. They don't write him off as a heretic because his doctrines are are not uh, developed quite yet. A side note, there is time that we should call out heresy. Absolutely. There are times where there are false teachers and we need to call them out as such. But there is also a time to reason with the one whose doctrine may not be quite developed yet. To help that one to come to a more accurate or a more complete understanding of a doctrine. Apollos uh, was the latter of those two things. And Priscilla and Aquila addressed him with prudence as they acted in humility. <laughs> they, they acted in compassion and with conviction, but also with hospitality. Some of your Bibles might say, instead of they took him aside, it might say in the NIV that they took him to their, into their home. So there's the sense of, of welcoming him in and trying to help him by explaining the way of the Lord more accurately to him. Now, we don't know exactly which doctrines they chose to talk about. Presumably, because Luke mentions baptism, that may have been one of the issues. But what we need to understand here is that what Priscilla and Aquila's interaction with Apollos tells us is that we are all in process. No one has arrived. We did not know We did not know what we know before we knew it. So we're all learning. We're all coming to understand. So let's give each other grace as we walk this road with Jesus, taking our next steps with him to know him more and more. Aquila and Priscilla are demonstrating this, this gentle, truthful, careful way of 
persuading and, and explaining and instructing someone who needs some further understanding. They weren't critical. They didn't have a critical spirit. They weren't argumentative. Their, their, their interaction uh, was nothing of the kind. Rather, uh, this, kind of, this kind of conversation, this kind of instruction or, or teaching is to be done, as one commentator suggests, using an open Bible and a loving tone. Open Bible and loving tone. Sometimes how we address someone is as important as what we are addressing. Priscilla and Aquila exemplify for us what disciple-making looks like. There are more ways to teach than from the front of an auditorium or in a classroom. Sometimes, sometimes our teaching is is best done privately, personally, quietly, individually. As commendable as Priscilla and Aquila uh, were and their actions were, the, the evidence that their efforts were successful um, is made clear by Apollos and what Apollos does next. So we turn our attentions to verses 27 and 28, and we see how Apollos helped the Ephesian believers. When he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those through, uh, who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Uh, what we find is that Apollos was teachable. As he listened to Aquila and Priscilla and adopted uh, their teachings, he, he, he learned now, this might not seem like a, a big deal, so he learned, so someone taught him. But, but remember, he was from Alexandria. That, that was an intellectual center. He was more educated than, most likely, he was more educated than Aquila and Priscilla were combined. And yet, he had the humility to sit, to listen, to learn, and to change. And it just reminds us that no one, no one is beyond the need for more instruction in God's word. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, how often you go to church, how often you read your Bible, how much education you have, how many degrees you have. We are all in process. We are all learners. But our learning is not just for personal edification or our own uh, increased knowledge. That's not what the learning is for. It is for the sake of making more and better disciples. Apollos learned from Aquila Aquila and Priscilla, and then he proclaimed it to others. So he received what he, he was taught. He received the instructions, and then he went out and he, he taught others. He wanted to go to the province of, of Achaia, which included the city of Corinth, where Paul had been uh, recently. And just a few years later, uh, Paul would write to this church in Corinth and he would acknowledge uh, Apollos and his ministry several times. Uh, Apollos sought permission to, to go, we, we read, 
uh, from the brothers, which was apparently a common practice at that time. We see that in the book of Romans chapter 16 and 2 Corinthians chapter 3. When Apollos arrives, we see his, his ministry activity. Listen to it. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. So here, Apollos does two things primarily. He helps the believers. Uh, With his previous education, uh, what he had learned from Aquila and Priscilla, he served these believers, those who by grace or through grace had believed. And just a quick note, salvation has always been and will always be by grace, through faith in Christ alone. We see it here, Luke making that note. But secondly, he refuted the Jews. And how did he refute the Jews? In public with the scriptures. With the scriptures. Apollos was a learner. And he used what he learned for the good of believers in the defense of the faith. Apollos' ministry in Corinth was watering what Paul had already planted. That's what we see him doing, helping and refuting. Paul had already been in Corinth. And so Paul planted, Paul says this later in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Apollos watered, um, excuse me, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth, verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth or gives the increase. Yes, Paul planted. Yes, Apollos watered. But that doesn't mean anything if God doesn't give the increase. And he does. And because he does, he gets the glory because he's the only one who deserves the glory. The discipleship ministry of Apollos is the result of disciples like Aquila, like Priscilla, who were dedicated to making disciples. The beginning of Paul's third journey has shown us three examples of disciples making disciples, of strengthening disciples, of making better disciples. All of these examples are done in obedience to what Jesus has already commanded to make disciples, but also as a natural rhythm of a disciple, meaning a disciple makes disciples. We are disciple-making disciples. This is... um, This is and was and will continue to be God's mission on the earth. That the word of God would continue to increase and prevail mightily. That more people would come to know Jesus. That those who do would grow in Christ. Disciples are made and strengthened by and through the power of the word. Right? We saw it with Paul. We saw it with Aquila and Priscilla. They taught him the word of God, Lord, more accurately. And we saw it with Apollos that he... Um, he reasoned with them. He, he taught them from the scriptures. So let me ask you, how are you making more and better disciples? Who are you discipling? Who are you strengthening in the faith? To whom are you telling the good news? You might be thinking to yourself right now, like, man, it's been kind of difficult these past few days and weeks. Uh, things have changed, and you're right. Ministry has, has altered uh, in, in, in form. The way we do things is changing. 
but the what of our mission is not changing. And so no matter what our circumstance is, there are people we can reach out to. There are people we have contact with. Maybe it's just the people in your own home. Maybe it's those that that you still uh, do conference calls with. Maybe it's the neighbor that you see across the street when they get their mail. Whoever it is, we still have some measure of contact. What kind of opportunities are there and are you taking them? Are you helping other people to know God, to follow God, to make God known to others? Methods and means change. They always change. And they're changing now for us, for sure. But not our mission. Our mission remains unchanged and central to our calling as a disciple. And that is, we make disciples. So how? How will you make more and better disciples this week? Consider it. Consider the new realities and ask yourself, how can you make new, how can you make more and better disciples? Now, if you're watching or listening in this morning and you don't know what it means to be a disciple, you don't, don't know what it is, uh, means to, to know God, uh, to know him as your Lord or to know him as your Savior. Um, but you want to. I have good news for you. You can know him. You can know him as your Lord and Savior. You can know him as your God. You can become a disciple of God. Some of you may know that today is Palm Sunday. It's a day when Jesus, we remember Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem during the Passover. And it was the beginning of what the church calls Holy Week. It was the the final week of Jesus' life and ministry. You see, God made the world and it was good. But then we find out in Genesis chapter 3 that sin enters the world through Adam and Eve. And as sin enters the world, so too does death. We find out that paradise was lost, shalom was vandalized, and hope was gone. This is a bleak time in human history. But God in grace had a plan And as we read the pages of Scripture, we see the promise of this plan was to come. And in the fullness of time, God sent his only son. He gave his only son to die on a cross, the death for you and me, the death that we deserve for our sin. Jesus paid for that sin and by his sacrifice offers to us eternal life through repentance and faith in Christ alone. This is called grace. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that you may not boast. The scriptures tell us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Jesus himself said, The the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So the invitation for you this morning is to come. Come to him. Come to this one who so loved the world that he gave his only son for you. Wherever you are, even where you're sitting this morning, where you're listening, you can talk to God. You can call out to him in faith, asking for forgiveness and salvation through Jesus. Maybe you need a little bit of help. Maybe there's someone you could talk to. Maybe there's a friend who you know knows Jesus. They would love to walk you 
through some of your questions. But for our purposes this morning, um, you, you can call out to God right where you're at. Maybe you need a little help with what, what to say. Sometimes people have a hard time with, what do I say to God? Well, I'm going to read a prayer. If, if you want to kind of agree with this prayer as I go through it, then you can. There's nothing special or magical about the words. It's just expressing to God what we believe, what's in our heart already, what's in our mind, what we're, what we're placing our faith in even now. So if you would, uh, listen to these words. If you agree with them, then you can say amen and know that God has heard you. The prayer goes like this. God, I admit that I am weaker and more sinful than I ever before believed. But through you, I am more loved and accepted than I ever dared to hope. I thank you that Jesus paid my debt, took my punishment on the cross, and offers forgiveness and new life. Knowing that you raised Jesus from the dead, I turn from my sins and trust him as my Lord and Savior. Please save me. In Jesus' name, amen. God, we know that you hear the prayer of the repentance. That those who, even in these moments, have prayed a prayer like that, have confessed their sins and placed their faith in you, can be assured of your forgiveness, of your salvation. And may they delight in that. God, for Christians this morning, may we look for opportunities, gospel opportunities, to have conversations about the good news of Jesus. Good news in light of all the, the bad news. God, we know that the gospel shines brightest at the darkest times. And Father, we see the gospel as beautiful now. And so would you give us opportunities and would we be prepared to take them? Would you help us this week to have a heart for others to know God, to grow in Christ? Maybe we have eyes to see the opportunities to make disciples and the strength to reach out, to speak out and tell the good news of the grace of God shown through your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's in his name that we pray these things. Amen.